Hi, and welcome to the Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at the Strad. Before we get into today's episode, we've got a special offer for you, the lovely podcast listener. Until the 31st of January, you can get 20% off an online subscription to the Strad using the code PODCAST2022. Delve into the archives from 2010 onward on any device and start reading straight away. Check the show notes for the link. And now, if you've been hanging out on the Strad website or social media channels this week, you'll have noticed that we're currently exploring the violin concertos of Mozart. So it's rather fitting that violinist Julia Fisher joins me for today's episode. She's embarking on an epic journey of performing all the Mozart violin concertos, including the Sinfonia Concertante, as artist-in-residence for the London Philharmonic Orchestra. You'll hear about her first impressions of the works, her experiences of teaching concertos, as well as her secret-slash-not-so-secret talent of playing the piano. We had a chat at the end of 2021 during the rise of Omicron, so we weren't 100% sure if her concerts were going ahead, but as things currently stand, they will be happening. Here's Julia Fisher. Julia, welcome to the Strad Podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to speak with you today. We're here today to talk about Mozart concertos. Uh, I should say specifically Mozart violin concertos, which you're hopefully, fingers crossed, (laughs) touch wood, are performing (laughs) in February. um, Paired number one and two, three and four, and number five. So first of all, can you tell me what's your personal journey regarding these pieces? When did you first start to encounter and play these works by Mozart? The first concerto I played was number three, and that was when I was eight years old. It's it was one of the, oh. <laughs> it was one of the first concertos I performed with orchestra. And I remember that I played the first movement uh, of the of G major concerto in the Philharmonie in Munich when I was eight, and that was actually the first time for me to perform in the Philharmonie. So I went out on stage and I saw this huge hall of two thousand four hundred seats um yeah that's a moment you don't forget in life um i then played number five for my debut with munich philharmonic uh, when i was 14 and then i learned number four for my debut in new york i don't know why i always chose mozart for my debuts anyway so that was number three four and five and number one and two, I learned when I recorded them with the Netherlands Chamber Orchestra in 2005 and six, I believe, with Jakob Kreisberg. Yeah, that was the first time that I did number one, number two, and the Sinfonia Concertante. For the recording, I decided to write my own cadenzas. I struggled with second movement of G major cadenza, second movement of, I believe, uh, D major. I don't even actually now remember. I just know that not all of the cadenzas are actually mine. Some of them are Jakob Kreitzberg's cadenzas, but I'm not quite sure which one are his and which one are actually mine. So, yeah, I paired them number one and number two in London because for that concert I will not have a conductor. I will actually lead the orchestra myself because I think for number one and number two you don't really need a conductor that's totally fine to do it myself and i'm very much looking forward to that because i will pair it with the tchaikovsky serenade which um, i will lead the london philharmonic 
Um, so I'm very much actually looking forward to that because I've played so many concerts with the London Philharmonic Orchestra, but always with the conductor. And I'm very much looking forward to the experience of playing with them without a conductor to see how that's going to work. I'm, I'm very curious and very happy that I have the opportunity. Number three, number four, number five and Contratante, I'm going to perform with uh, Thomas Sondergaard as conductor. He was actually my wish. I asked for him to have him for the Mozart Concerti. Um, I know Thomas now for 10 years and um, we've played a couple of times together. And he's such a wonderful man, such a wonderful conductor, such a great soul and has such a big heart. And it's he always makes me very happy somehow when I see him and when I perform with him. He just makes me a very happy person. So um, I'm very much looking forward to working with him. Uh, Niels Mankermeyer, who is my dear friend for 20 years, is going to play the viola part in the Sinfonia Concertante. Um, we've played it many times together. He's a violist of my quartet. Uh, we are colleagues in Munich Academy. We studied together, so uh, he's practically like a brother to me. So, um, yeah. We are very happy that we are going to do that. So how do you feel about leading Mozart concertos from the violin? I had a guest recently mention that when she's leading chamber orchestras or directing chamber orchestras, she feels like she's taking on the role of a film director. You know, you're kind of having that sort of creative vision, but you also have to allow the orchestra to bring something of themselves to the music. So how, how do you personally feel when you're directing? I love directing orchestras because um, you get to know an orchestra completely different from when there is a conductor. No offense to the conductors, I really like conductors, but it gets more to chamber music than to actually orchestra work. The musicians tend to be much more open they tend to have their to share their ideas. They also won't have their um, hints. Their they the communication is just more direct. Yeah. Maybe I have to explain why sometimes I want to have a conductor. I think um, there are pieces, especially when you go then later in the repertory, um, where I want the orchestra to be a counterpart to me and to have one voice. And in order to have that, I need a conductor because I need the, the orchestra to be put together as another... United. Yeah, united. Yeah. Somebody has to unite the orchestra to to be opposite of me. But in the first and second concerto especially, and also for Bach concerti and Vivaldi for seasons, I'm actually part of the orchestra. The solo part is important, but not that important. And it's actually raising out of the orchestra part. It's not yeah. against them. So. Um, for these pieces, I prefer to be part of the orchestra also yeah, in the work, pro working progress. And then I think a conductor is kind of disturbing more than helping. Yeah. Sorry. It's an extra <laughs> sort of, no, no, I get that, though. I mean, it's, it's a sort of uh, extra step in the workflow that perhaps you don't really need. I couldn't imagine a violinist directing something, say, like Berg or uh, Bartok or something. I wouldn't would... want to. <laughs> I would want to. It's probably also Tchaikovsky concerto. It, it's probably possible. Mendelssohn concerto. I'm sure it's possible. Mm. But I enjoy the the conductor answering to me much too much. You know, I, I, I enjoy working with conductors. I really do. It's not that I prefer to be without a conductor. Not at all. It's, yeah. it's just that in some pieces, I feel that I'm like part of the orchestra. 
and for first and second concerto of Mozart, that's definitely the case. I mean, number three, number four, number five can be played without your conductor too, no question. Concertante I've done without conductor, there it's already more complicated. I, I actually prefer if, if there's a conductor because we are two soloists. That also is a, you know, it makes a difference. Yeah. So it's the two of us. So who is supposed to lead? Is it Niels? Is it me? It's It, it doesn't really make sense if it's me. It's that, It doesn't make sense if it's him. So I think that has to be led by a conductor or the concertmaster, mm. which is, also, of course, also possible. So I wanted to ask you, you know, regarding these Mozart concertos, what would be your personal favourite? How would you personify it? How would you describe its character of your favorite piece? That's very difficult because, you know, I'm teaching them so often. So, for example, now uh, I've had number four in lessons Mm -hmm. practically every week. Is it your favorite, though? (laughs) Now, not anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I've very rarely taught number three for some reason. I think it's because the students play it usually before they start studying. Number three is the one. People yeah. usually play first. When they're eight years so, old, you know, as their debut. and <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Number five is probably the... Well, of all of them, my favorite is the second movement of Concertante. Mm-hmm. No question. Mm-hmm. Second movement of Concertante is, is my favorite movement. And this talk between two people, this talk between Mozart and his mother, it's just... Um, that's really breathtaking. Yeah. Um, that's beyond everything. So... That's definitely my, my favorite mo- uh, movement. Um, From the concerti itself, I love the second movement of G major. And A major concerto probably is is, is the one yeah. which I would choose. Yes, it's yeah. got a good character to it, I would have to say. So you mentioned teaching and teaching the Mozart concertos. And I suppose this doesn't necessarily relate only to Mozart, but how do you find that balance between teaching the style, the authenticity of Mozart, what Mozart intended with helping students find their own interpretation, their own voice within the pieces? Well, there are certain rules to Mozart which um, every uh, student has to learn, how to read his music. So how to understand what a dot means, what a slur means. I usually uh, try to explain that it doesn't... You actually make interpretations of Mozart far better if you erase most of the accents students tend to play so if they always make an accent on one and three and so if you have a phrase that you really know where this phrase is going it's it's like speaking i think performing mozart is like speaking and singing you have to know which phrase is spoken which phrase is singing so where is the articulation most important and where is it uh, the singing part so this is what I try to, to explain to the students. And once they have learned these rules, they they are free. They can do what they want to. But those are very important to me. Yeah. Well, in the end, Mozart is, is first an opera composer. So when you perform also violin concerto, I think you have to understand that there are the different characters of different persons. And But there's a drama happening between this is the woman, this is the man, this is the... <laughs> lyrical this is the coloratura and and yeah put that into your interpretation you can come up with some crazy opera plot as they all seem to have (laughs) so I wanted to ask you one more question and this stems from last week I was having a little bit of a YouTube binge and I came across a video of you performing 
piano. And initially, I thought that you'd left your violin backstage when you walked on stage, but there was a piano on stage, and then you went on to perform the Greek Piano Concerto. And I found this um, incredible because I didn't know that you were a pianist. There may be listeners and readers of The Strad who know this already, and perhaps this is old news, but for my sake, you know, tell me about your piano playing. Do you get to play the piano very much? Well, in lockdowns, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, sure. uh, playing to myself, it's, it's, it's more fun on the piano than, than on the violin. My mother is a piano teacher, so naturally I learned the piano as well. And, and I think that piano playing is, is basic for any musician. So I very much enjoy piano playing. The Greek concert is now very, actually it is old news. That was in 2008. <laughs> I know, so. I mean, I saw that, that video and I was like, it was from several years ago. And I'm like, how am I only finding out about this now? It's 2021. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so Sorry about that. <laughs> um, it was the only time that I actually played piano with orchestra. So I've never done that up with it again. But what I do is I play chamber music occasionally. So now also when I play the Mozart Concerti with the London Philharmonic, we will have one chamber concert where we play Shostakovich Octet, Bruch Octet, where I play violin. And then in second half, I'm going to play the piano part in the Dvořák Quintet A major. And I actually enjoy that very much uh, to sit there. And probably I, I'm the person on stage who knows the piece best. I've played first yeah. violin, second violin, actually viola part, and now piano. So I really know all the parts except for cello. And I feel so comfortable because I just know it so well. I've played it so often and, and I enjoy the fact that there is an, a colleague playing the violin and uh, playing a beautiful theme and I'm very happy for them. I have a lot of fun doing that. And when I study, I need the piano. I just, yeah. I have no way around it. So when I re learn scores, I, for example, I will have a tour with the, with the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields in May, uh, hopefully, uh, where mm -hmm. I play. I will lead, I will lead uh, the orchestra with Frank Bridge Variations and Haydn Symphony and things like that. All these pieces, I cannot learn without piano. I have to mm -hmm. say, I, I just need to, to learn the score on the piano. Then sometimes I also have fun, for example, on tour with uh, Vladimir Jurovsky, we have this this little almost tradition by now that before the concert, we side read symphonies for hands. <laughs> and that's that's so cool. actually lots of lots of fun. He, he comes up with strange pieces then where I really, I don't know them so well. He always knows them. It's it's not quite fair, but <laughs> it's it's fun to do. So like I, I remember once I read Glazunov Symphony and uh, yes, yeah, some Bruckner second or pieces I obviously don't know. So I have to yeah. sight read them and he knows them well. But so I, I use the piano playing actually quite regularly. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's a good way for you to literally get inside the piece and, and know the piece inside out. Also, when I teach, sometimes, you know, when the pianist isn't available for uh, for the accompaniment and I just accompany the students. So I play through all the sonatas just, and concertos. just do it. <laughs> I, I just... I try to avoid uh, pieces like Fauré Sonata, where I, which I never learned. But yeah, Beethoven mm -hmm. Sonatas, Brahms Sonatas, Frank Sonata, all these things I've learned as a child. So actually, wow. I, I, I can accompany the students. That's pretty cool. You've got to do that classic lockdown thing of the split screen with you playing violin on one side and, and piano on the other. <laughs> Looking at me skeptically. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe <No>. not. 
<laughs> but um, your next mission is to learn the cello solo in the opening movement of the Dvorak Quintet. Then you'll be a quintuple no. threat. <laughs> no, I'm very happy that Christina is going to play that and, and she, was gonna, she will do it wonderfully. And yeah, yeah. I'm sure she will. Fab. Well, thank you so much for um, sharing your thoughts on Mozart with me today and also sharing your experiences as a pianist as well. Thank you. My pleasure. That was violinist Julia Fisher. Did you know she played the piano? I clearly did not. Check the show notes to find out more about Julia's Mozart appearances with the LPO and stay tuned for a future episode featuring her aforementioned colleague, violist Nils Munkemeyer, who will be chatting to me about Sinfonia Concertante. And don't forget to head to our website, thestrad.com, to check out the latest news and articles on all things to do with string playing. And if you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. We've got 50% off an online subscription for students, but if you're not a student, you can get 20% off an online subscription using the code PODCAST2022 until the 31st of January. And if you're not sure if you're ready to subscribe, take out a free trial for seven days, start reading right away, no strings attached. If you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or a rating. Thanks for listening and tune in again soon for another episode. Take good care. Bye. Bye.